Where do you stand when it comes to Marmite? Do you love it or hate it? Where do you stand when it comes to sport? Is rugby king or football? Where do you stand when it comes to entertainment? Do you prefer to read a book or to watch a film? Where do you stand when it comes to superheroes? Would Superman win or Batman? And perhaps most importantly of all, where do you stand when it comes to scones? Is it cream first and then jam? Or jam first and then cream? You know, we live in a society at the moment where celebrity rules. And they cannot keep their opinions to themselves. Whether they want to or not, society needs to know where they stand. On the little issues, like the ones I've mentioned, but also on the big issues. We need to know. They have to tell us where they stand. This morning, though, I want us to consider where we as Christians stand. And the first can be found in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 2. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Where do you stand? We stand in grace. My father joked last week about Terence probably preaching on grace again, and he's right. Terence does speak about grace a lot, but I don't think that we can blame him. I probably do this more than the average person, but we all, when something amazing or shocking or incomprehensible happens to us or around us, we can't stop talking about it. We tell everyone. We run it over and over in our minds and over and over to our friends, trying to make sense of it. I remember when I was in London with my mother and father, about ten years ago now. Me and my mother went to see Legally Blonde starring Sheridan Smith. And we'd never done it before, but afterwards we waited at the stage door to meet the cast. Sheridan came out last, so as she met people they would leave and the crowd thinned out. She got to me and we talked and laughed and we had a photo and I left and I didn't shut up about how happy I was and how amazing that was. And I remember looking at the photo all the time thinking, wow, I met her and she was so nice to me. I woke up the next morning and the first thing I wanted to do was look at the photo again. Proof that this awesome thing for me had happened. So of course, when we discover God's grace, we're going to want to talk about it all the time. We're going to want to learn more about it, try and completely understand it, revel in it, rejoice in it, because it's a fantastic place in which to stand. God's grace, which made a way for all men to be saved. God's grace that means if we fall or fail, trip up, stumble, wander off, turn our back or lose our way, we still are standing in his grace. We are still saved. Ephesians 2 verse 8 tells us, For by grace you have been saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Let's continue to talk about grace. Let's remember that we stand in it. Let's live in the glory of the knowledge of it, and thank God for his amazing grace. 
1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Where do you stand? We stand in the gospel. Thank God for the gospel. Thank God for the good news. The good news that we aren't here by accident. We aren't a coincidence. We aren't inconsequential. We aren't alone. We aren't unloved or unlovable. We aren't aimless. We aren't pointless. We aren't nobodies. We are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and we belong to God. God who knew us before we were ever thought of by anyone on earth, who formed us and knitted us together in our mother's womb, who planned and purposed our existence on this earth, who walks with us and leads us and guides us, who makes plans for us, who thinks we are special and has set us apart and who loves us so very, very much. So much, in fact, that in order to gain us, in order to gain me, and in order to gain you, he sacrificed his precious son, who had done no wrong. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour, who was willing to die a cruel, painful, humiliating death in front of his own mother, without his friends who for the most part had abandoned him, went through all of that so that I wouldn't be lost to sin, so that you need not perish, so that you could spend eternity in heaven with him, so that you could be reconciled back to God, so that you wouldn't have to worry about failing to keep the law. Jesus gained nothing from dying on that cross except us. He gained nothing but us. The New Living Translation puts Philippians 2 verses 6 to 8 like this. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Jesus gave up his divine privileges in order to gain us. And when he had completed that work, when he had made a way for us to be saved, he returned to his rightful place, just as before, but this time with the love, respect and worship of the people he came to save. The gospel is indeed good news, and I'm so glad that I feature. And I endeavour to never be ashamed of the gospel, but to proudly declare that it's on the gospel that I stand. 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 13 Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong, let all that you do be done with love. Where do you stand? We stand in courage and strength. And my favourite person to go on rides with at a theme park is my brother Jonathan. And it's because he brings something to, ex to the experience that my other brother Benjamin or any other family member or friend seems to lack. Rides are getting bigger and more dangerous all the time. Long gone are the days when a seat belt and a bar over your lap would keep you safe. 
If that's all that was keeping you in on half of the rides at Alton Towers and Thorpe Park, the nets underneath would be catching much more than the odd hat. Rides nowadays involve a big, heavy harness that you pull down over your head, which covers your chest and clicks into place, with a clip for a little extra insurance. Now, depending on how big you are, you'll hear so many clicks as you pull the harness into you. Now, often when I've gone on rides, I've found that I've pulled the harness down as far as I can with my limited strength. But there's still a bit of give in it. I can pick it up and drop it half an inch. When I'm with Johnny, he's strong enough to pull the harness down that little bit extra. That means that I am very tightly secured, which makes me feel safe which means I can enjoy the ride properly because my big, strong brother has ensured my safety. And that's how I feel it is with God. He is the big, strong brother that rides with us on this roller coaster called life. He's right by our side through it all and he secures our safety through it all. He makes sure that we are held tightly. Where we lack and can only go so far by ourselves, he completes finishes and perfects and when you're going through life with someone like that you are bound to feel strong and brave because look who's on your side when David faced Goliath he could be brave and was assured of his strength because he knew who was on his side David said to Goliath in 1 Samuel chapter 17 verse 45 you come to me with a sword with a spear and with a javelin but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. So confident was David that he shook off the protection of men, the helmet and breastplate, sword and shield, and relied solely on God to protect him. How could he be so sure that God would protect him? Well, he tells us in verse 37, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. In David's life, God had a track record of protecting him when he faced an enemy, which gave him strength and courage. Now, I've never had to face off with a lion or a bear. I've never had to fight in a war. And thankfully, I've never been involved in any physical altercation of any kind. So I've never needed or experienced God, God delivering me from any of those situations. I've never seen his power and strength in those arenas. I've never been the victor in those situations, thanks to his input. Now David had many enemies in his short life up until the po this point. Lions, bears, probably poachers and thieves and vandals. I, on the other hand, have only ever had one. The only enemy that I have ever needed to be saved from. The only enemy that has ever had a hold on me. The only enemy that I have ever had is the strongest one of all. Sin. Sin had me and wasn't letting me go. Try as I might, I couldn't win. I couldn't get out of this myself. I couldn't defeat this enemy by myself. And then I read this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 55. Or death, where is your sting? Or Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, 
Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labour is not in vain in the Lord. We stand in courage and strength because we are on the victory side. Jesus has won the victory for us. Death is defeated. Sin no longer has dominion. The sky, not the grave, is our goal. Our big, strong brother has secured our safety. And now we can enjoy the ride. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23 and 24. Moreover, I call God as witness against my soul, that to spare you I came no more to Corinth, not that we have dominion over your faith, but our fellow workers for your joy. For by faith you stand. Where do you stand? We stand in faith. I think that the truth of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 7 is what holds a lot of people back from even considering Christianity. The fact that we walk by faith and not by sight. That so much of what we believe can't be seen with our human eyes. Can't be touched or smelt or tasted or audibly heard. It's all of faith. That can also be the stimulus for ridicule from the world. The fact we believe and trust and have faith in a God that we have never seen. Only this week did a stranger on the internet accuse me of having an imaginary friend instead of the very real friend that I have in Jesus. Standing in faith is good ammunition for the outsider to use against us. But it can also cause difficulties and problems for ourselves in our own hearts and minds. We all have days or seasons when we would love to physically feel God, to feel the weight of his arms around us. We'd love to see him and look into his eyes. We would love to audibly hear him, as clear as I am now, speaking, saying, I love you. I care so deeply about you. And I care about the things that you care about. I'm so proud of you. You're doing so well. Everything is going to be okay. Just follow me. The thing is, is that God has said all those things about you so plainly and clearly in his word. And as Terence said one Bible study quite recently, if we want to hear him speak, we have to tune in. We have to pick up our Bibles and read what God has said. He has said everything that he wants us to know already. Hebrews 11 tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. The chapter then goes on to show the faith of some of the Old Testament saints. Now we are in a much better position than them. They had faith that there would be a saviour, but they died long before he came. But their faith was strong and rewarded as we read throughout the whole of the chapter. Now we never got to meet Jesus when he walked the earth. But we live in a time where the promised saviour has come, has accomplished the work that was planned for him before the beginning of time. And all we have to have faith in is that all that he said and did was true. Before Jesus, they had to have faith that a saviour would come and that he would be a sacrifice for our sins and that he would defeat death, hell and the grave and rise again, that he would ascend back into heaven and sit at his father's right hand. All we have to do is look back and see that all those things happened, that the prophecies came true, that Jesus was and is the Son of God slain for us, 
We do that and we are saved. If we can have faith in who Jesus is and what he has already done, then our faith for the future can be more secured because we can see he has a track record. As Hebrews 11 says, faith is simply the byproduct, the residue, the output of our actively hoping for the future. Not empty hopes like I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow, but the hope that we will spend eternity in heaven, that one day Jesus will return, that eventually every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. When we do that, we have faith and we should boldly stand in that faith, knowing that as the next chapter in Hebrew says, Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. Galatians 5 and verse 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Where do you stand? We stand in liberty. Probably the most famous image in the world of liberty is the Statue of Liberty in America. Now, I've had the pleasure of visiting the statue this time last year, and whilst I was there, I learned lots about it. The most relevant factoid for this morning, though, is that on the turn of the 20th century, when immigrants began to flock to America, the first sign of land that they would see would be the Statue of Liberty. And it became a reminder for these people of the liberty that they could now enjoy in this new country. They were free, and Lady Liberty reminds them of that. Seeing the statue up close and personal, it's impossible not to appreciate its magnificence. The detail, the symbolism, the perfection of every line and curve. And when you know just what it represents and what it means to people, you understand just how important and how special it is. But it's not the Statue of Liberty that reminds me that I'm free. What reminds me is crudely made, full of splinters and rough edges. No eye for detail or design went into its creation. What reminds me of my freedom is the old rugged cross, where my Saviour paid the debt that I owed and removed the yoke of bondage that was on me, broke the shackles and made me free. We need to stand and live in our liberty, and not burden ourselves with our worries and insecurities, but bask in the wonder and truth of sins forgiven and death defeated. Philippians 1 verse 27 Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Where do you stand? We stand in unity. This is why we all yearn to get back to services in this place, so that we could be together, that we could feel less alone in our walk, that we can help each other and support one another, counsel one another and console one another. As one of our favourite courses says, we are an army of ordinary people, a kingdom where love is the key, a city, a light to the nations, heirs to the promise are we, a people whose life is in Jesus, 
a nation, together we stand. And only through grace are we worthy inheritors of the land. A people without recognition, but with him a destiny sealed. Called to a heavenly vision, his purpose shall be fulfilled. So come, let us stand strong together. Abandon ourselves to the King. His love shall be ours forever. And this victory song we shall sing. One light here and another one there. And all these single lights dotted around the place. Don't shine as bright. Don't make as much of an impact as when we all join together and shine brightly. We are unique in that we all want the same thing. We are all heading to the same destination. We have all put our trust in the same saviour. We all have the same goal. We differ in so many ways, except the ways that matter. And we need to stand strong together, holding up those who are falling, encouraging those who are leading, building up those who will take over. We, the global church, need to start singing off the same hymn sheet, that hymn sheet being God's word. We need to stop muddying the waters with our own opinions and exceptions and additions and come together and preach the word in unity so that men and women and boys and girls might know that they too can stand with us in all that we stand in and that they too can be saved. We stand in unity, but that unity is one aspect of our standing that is taking the biggest beating at the moment. We need to work towards better standing in unity. Philippians 4 verse 1 Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Where do you stand? We stand in the Lord. Crucified together with Christ. Buried together with Christ. Raised together with Christ and seated in heavenly places together with Christ. We no longer stand in Adam, tainted by the sin that he brought into the world, but we stand in the Lord, who has put everything in place to remove the sin that tainted us. I can't think of a better place to stand. I said at the beginning that celebrities nowadays don't seem to have the choice to remain silent about where they stand anymore. My hope for us as Christians is that we would choose not to remain silent about where we stand, that we would be loud and proud about the fact that we stand in grace, we stand in the gospel, we stand in courage and strength, we stand in faith, we stand in liberty, we stand in unity and we stand in the Lord. And not only that, but that one day we will stand perfect and complete in the will of God. If you aren't a Christian this morning, then I would ask you, where do you stand? <laughs>